All right, so today we have this call where Jesus is inviting these apostles. He's beginning to invite them, and you'll hear this again next Sunday, too. We had John's Gospel today, and next Sunday we'll have Mark's Gospel. Same kind of a passage here, where Jesus is calling uh, John and his brother James and Peter and his brother Andrew and Philip and the others. He's starting to gather to himself the apostles, these first priests. So he's saying, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In the first reading today, we heard about Samuel's calling. So this is Old Testament time. Eli was the Pope at the time. He was the man of God. And Samuel was given to him as a small child from his mother Hannah, who could not conceive, etc. That's all another story. But Samuel grows up in the temple with Eli, the number one religious guy of their day. And then Samuel will become that guy in time. Samuel's a child, God calling him to sleep, he wakes up, he keeps thinking it's Eli because they're sleeping in the same room. He gets up, wakes up Eli, what do you want? Eli says, Stop it. And finally Eli realizes it must be God calling you because I'm not calling you. When God calls again, tell him, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So then Samuel falls back asleep. God says Samuel's name. Samuel wakes up, says, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel then takes on this incredible relationship with God, and it is Samuel who will eventually identify and consecrate Saul to be king of Israel, and then later David to be king of Israel, etc. All right. So in all of these, you know, this, this sense of calling to religious life, in the Catholic Church for, say, the last 50 years, which is an anomaly, this was never the case in the first 19 and a half centuries of the Catholic Church, but in the last 50 years, I would say, 40 years certainly, there's been this concept of trying to understand a call to priesthood or religious life, this sort of amazing, like, leave the family, leave the world to follow Jesus' calling, as motivated by one's happiness in this life. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It can be true, but that's not what's motivating people to accept an invitation to become a priest or a consecrated religious. It's much deeper than that. Imagine Jesus coming to these apostles and saying to them, Hey, Andrew, Peter, John, James, you guys listen to me. I've got this business proposition. I want you to go into business with me. You see, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get a whole fleet of boats on the Sea of Galilee. We're going to monopolize the thing. We're going to be millionaires, all right? You guys will only have to work 40 hours a week. You'll never have to work evenings or weekends. And when the workday is done at 5, you can leave it behind and have no anxiety and no thought about it until you get back in the boat at 8 in the morning the next day. And, uh, and you'll be millionaires. What do you think? It'll all be like, yeah, sounds great as long as this isn't a fantasy. And then what if Jesus said, I'm going to wave my magic wand and your wives are going to be totally gorgeous babes and your children are going to be perfect and your whole life on earth is going to be perfect. Will you follow me? And they'd go, yeah, if you can do that, that would be super. And then these 12 would all say, hey, you know, I guess it's my vocation, my calling. I'm just accepting what God wants of me. That's not reality at all. Not in your marriage, or not in priesthood, not anywhere on earth. That's not reality. When Jesus invites these twelve, little do they know that he's inviting them to this. They don't know that yet. He can see into the future, and he can see how all twelve will die. Judas will take his life. The remaining eleven, ten will die martyrs. When he's saying, Peter, your name is Cephas, rock. 
Little do you know, you're going to be crucified upside down in Rome one day. Paul, you'll be lay your head on the chopping block and have it cut off. And Nathaniel, you'll be skinned alive. And Jude, you'll be clubbed to death. And Thomas, you'll be speared. Little do you guys know, what I'm calling you to is something supernatural, beyond your human nature. But you don't have to worry about that right now. By my grace, you will grow, and you will grow, and you will grow in your surrender to me, to the kingdom of God. And you'll eventually be able to achieve things you can't imagine, because you'll give your life away from me. When we think of callings today, like to the priest or religious life, we frequently think that God only calls one in a thousand, or one in ten thousand, because that's... That's the number that goes. There are more than 70,000 people who live in our parish boundaries here at Holy Redeemer, and I'm the only priest who lives here. So we think, I guess God only calls one in 70,000. I mean, right? I mean, isn't that the math? No, the reality is God is just, he's spreading the seeds everywhere. He's inviting everyone to the wedding banquet. But A, almost no one hears it. And B, of those who hear the invitation, almost no one accepts it. We all have our excuses. Nobody wants to go there. But that's really what this is. That is the heart of love. Okay. The apostles. Eventually the apostles, the apostles, will kiss their wives and their children goodbye. And they'll leave for foreign lands. To Ethiopia, to Rome, to India, to Iran, to all kinds of... They will leave their wives and families behind. They will all accept celibacy. They'll all accept poverty. They'll let go of their house, of their business, of those boats. They'll let go of their reputations. They'll let go of their freedom. As Jesus says to Peter, when you were younger, you went where you wanted to go. But as you get older, you will be bound and led away. And these are very important things for us to understand. When somebody, when the Lord is inviting people to this high calling of priesthood or religious life, to be a monk, a a nun, etc. He's inviting them to leave the world, and that's very frightening, naturally. It runs against our nature, the nature that he created us for. When he created Adam and Eve, he created us for marriage, didn't he? He made us for community life, not right that man should be alone. And then he's going to take that from us? When Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, they left the Garden of Eden with only three things. They were buck naked, except for maybe a leaf, all right? They didn't even, they didn't even have animal, animal skins yet because they'd never killed an animal. There was no cotton underwear or whatever. They were just buck naked with maybe a leaf. But they leave Eden with three things. Each other, marriage. Because without marriage, there's no children, there's no families, there's no populating the earth. So they leave Eden with family. They leave Eden with the ability to acquire goods. They're going to have to feed themselves and shelter themselves. They're going to have to acquire goods. And lastly, self-determination. God is going to let them decide where you're going to live. You're going to live down by the river. You're going to live in the, the valley plain over there. You're going to live in the mountains. It's up to you. You make those decisions. These are the three things that the human race was endowed with. It was not lost in the fall in the garden. Family, the acquiring of goods, and self-determination. And what are the three vows a nun, a monk, or a priest are going to make? 
celibacy, poverty, obedience. You can understand why people don't want to accept that invitation. Because I'm going to have to give up the only three things that you, God, have given to me in my fallen state. I'm going to never have a spouse, never going to have children, not going to have grandchildren. Who's going to take care of me in my old age? Am I to go to an empty house, an empty cell for the rest of my life? I'm going to be, I'm going to not going to own property or I'm just going to trust that somehow I'll be taken care of with housing and my medical needs and food and whatever else. And, and then I'm going to have to go where I don't want to go. Honestly, the Archbishop, I won't find out until March now. He could, on March, get a phone call. Nathie, you're going to Timbuktu. And you're not even going to be a pastor. You're just going to go there. And I will. And I will. Heartbreak and all. I'll go. For these reasons, and a fourth, people don't want to accept that invitation to come after Jesus and follow him. The fourth one is fear of being different. Adam and Eve, Adam sees Eve and says, at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He understands that we, as God has created us, we are created, created to be in community with other people. Whether you're married or not, you are not actually made to live alone even. That's something that I've learned sort of through the back door, living alone for 19 years. Imagine your family, all the electricity, no more television, no more computers, no more internet, no more telephones, no more talking to people daily. You go home and there's nothing but silence and stillness. And most of you would go crazy. We were created to be with somebody, even if it's just to have a roommate. But it's this, the fear of being different. It's dangerous being different. In herds, whether you go to Yellowstone National Park and a herd of elk and wolves are coming after them or zebras in Africa and lions are going after you, you know that you stay with the herd for safety. If you're separated from the herd, you're dead. Remember the experiment I told you about years ago, zebras in Africa, because lions can see the color blue, they took some blue paint and splashed it on the rear ends of a few zebras in a big herd. All of them were dead within a week. The lions could keep singling them out to get them. When you're a priest and you're the only one of 70-something thousand people, you're the zebra with the blue stripe. You're terrified of being different from everyone else. Everywhere you go, all the time. And then not only that, you're a religious leader in a world that rejects God and religion and truth. You're a moral example You can't fail or people will go down with you. Whoa. Jesus, you're inviting me to all this. And the answer is yes. And here's the paradox. I'm going to say that I am the most blessed guy in this room. And I'm also the most grateful guy in this room. And maybe I'm not. And if you disagree with me, hey, you just... You just be mad at me today and don't tell me about it. But I believe that I have been so incredibly privileged to be a priest. Hardships and all and everything that I've gone through or will go through to the end. And with the way things are going, there's a really good chance I'm going to end up like the 12 apostles. 
That's just where America is going. And we're going there fast. And eventually you reach a tipping point at which all hell breaks loose. So be it. I give my life to you, Lord. But the amount of good that I have done for other people on earth in 19, 20 years has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. I would not have done, I'm convinced that I wouldn't have done a fraction of it had I not accepted the vocation of priesthood. In fact, I'm not even sure that I'd be going to Mass if I had not accepted the vocation to priesthood. We think, well, if you weren't a priest, you'd be married and have kids and you'd be this great practicing Catholic family. Maybe not. Maybe I wouldn't have made it to Mass at all. Maybe my addictions would have devoured me. Maybe I'd already even be dead and then burning somewhere else. I'm so grateful the Lord asked me to do this. I have no idea how it is that I was able to accept the invitation. How I became a priest, one of thousands and thousands. Why not everyone else? Why me? I don't know those answers. I won't until I get to heaven. But I do know this, that I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve this much beauty and goodness and grace. I I'm of the chosen few. It's not chosen few. I'm of the extreme few who just simply heard the invitation and said yes. And then God would do the rest. Every one of us is called to be a saint, and that's really hard. Like, oh no, it's the bishops and priests and the nuns. That's their job. My job is to, you know, fit in and be happy. No, we're all called to be saints. And believe me, a lay man or woman can do far more good as a saint than a wicked priest ever could. We're all called to be saints. But this vocation, this walk, is extraordinary. And so this is what I want you to consider. That the vocation or the calling is going to everyone who can. It's not going to one in a thousand or one in ten thousand or you that poor zebra with a blue stripe on your rear. No, it's going to everyone in the herd who can. Not everyone can. There are people with mental illness or physical disabilities or developmental disabilities or they've already got addictions by the time they're 20 and it's, they you know, have a child they've got to raise, whatever. But when you're still a kid, almost everyone can. As we get older, fewer and fewer can still say yes. But to understand that the vocation or the calling, the invitation is going to everyone who can. Who hears it? Those who turn those screens off. I grew up with six hours a day of TV time, at least. Totally poisoned me. I grew up with the spirit of the world, the mentality of the world. Watching TV shows that are just immoral and just totally godless. Again, how I became a priest, God can only, God only knows. But if we're going to hear that invitation, the invitation to come and follow Jesus... We've got to turn off the the screens, the TV, the computer, the internet, the smartphone. Imagine what it was like 200 years ago. And how many more people could hear the Lord whisper in their ear that today they can't hear. And then there needs to be prayer and penance. If you do prayer and penance for the people that we prayed about at the end of the rosary, Elizabeth, Marie, Evan, Grace... Brother Gabriel, now Maris, and all the others around the world. You might just save their vocation because every one of them will go through a crisis or more in their vocation. Every one of them will want to throw in the towel. 
And it probably isn't going to be just one time, multiple times. But if you took a cold shower for them, and they never even knew it, the grace from that might have saved them. Or you prayed a rosary for them. You denied yourself the dessert that one day for them. For somebody who might otherwise not have heard the Lord's voice, you'll find out in the next life how much good you did. So, know that the Lord is calling everyone to be a saint. No one gets away from that. And that's a great privilege to be called that, to be invited to that, and to respond especially by the grace of God. And that some are being called to let go of everything, everything, for the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls, beginning with their own, and then for the legions and legions they'll never know about until the next life. Pray for them. Do penance for them. Invite those who have never thought of it and those who have to keep thinking about it. In the end, there's great glory for every one of us in the kingdom of heaven. Great glory for every one of us in the kingdom of heaven. Do what you can to help people to get there.